Good afternoon and welcome to your American Heritage, baby. My name is Ed Bondarenka and I am not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And producing the show is the Swiss Army Knife of Radio, Derek Stone. Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports Truth Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd hosts The Intersection at noon because The Intersection is not your normal fluffy Christian show. You should listen to both. Not to mention the Saturday lineup of Abolitionist Roundtable at 9 a.m., Trigger Talk at 11 a.m., and Moment of Clarity right before this show at 1 p.m. And if you missed any, go to the podcast page at whamradio.com, W-A-A-M radio, all one word, dot com, to catch up or share with your friends. Your American Heritage is on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, and you can subscribe. Boost the signal. Be a Paul Revere. Get the word out. The word is it's day 944 of the coup the theft of the American government by enemies, both foreign and domestic. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any other nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. That statement is as true as it was in 1864. There's a war going on for control of America and you. Remember, this country was founded on the notion of individual liberty and God-given natural rights. And among these, the rights enumerated in the Bill of Rights. These rights are fought for and fought against in courtrooms around this country. Thomas Jefferson is supposed to have said that the Constitution should be able to be understood by the plowman as well as the professor. Well, I'm a plowman. And yet here we are, lawyers discussing what the meaning of is is. By the way, I have a professor standing here shortly. He's going to join us. And despite the lawyer jokes, we need godly patriotic lawyers who will go to the bar for us will represent us against those who would enslave us. I am no longer a conservative, I am a restorative. I wanna bring back the meaning of the Constitution as written and understood when it was written, okay? But the same despots that we opposed in 1776, that same spirit lives on to subject us, to make us subjects of their will, their rule. What is to be our response? Well, we resist, we protest, we boycott, we boycott, we go to court. We go to court, we go to court, and we vote whether they cheat or not, and we pray. Psalm 144, you should have this memorized by now, says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Please clasp those fingers and hands, and let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please protect our nation and our state from these evil tyrants, and please deliver us from these ungodly oppressors. We live in a land that has the appearance of being wicked of promoting wickedness and perversion. Please help us cleanse this land and remove the perversion that has come to power. Please, and please motivate pastors to speak out and rail against the iniquity and sinful behavior of this government. Please give us Mordecais who will stand up, men who will stand in the gap. Please lead and guide the American people in the days to come in resistance to these threats to our liberty. And please help us restore goodness and morality to the governance of our nation and our state, amen. Now, my guests today are Professor William Wagner and Attorney David Coleman. As many of you know, they are the founders of Salt and Light Global and the Great Lakes Justice Center. And if we're gonna save Michigan instead of abandoning it, we have to do it in the courts and at the ballot box. Will Wagner has limited time today because an event he has to attend. So we're gonna start with Will. Will is the inaugural distinguished chair of the Wagner Faith and Freedom Center. Look at him blush. Thank God he hasn't let that go to his head. But that's a big deal. Hi, Will. Hey, good to be with you, Ed. Welcome. 
Good to have you. So you've got some some things you want to talk about, and that's part of the platform of this show is to give you a platform to talk about things, especially good things and things we need to know about. Well, just a lot happened this last week that uh, impacts good governance uh, and the rule of law, uh, especially it impacts you know the idea will our constitution still uh, be the rule of law for our government? Will it still uh, limit the exercise of government power? And what I'm what I'm about to tell you, both in the uh, things that are happening in the judicial branch of this state and in the legislative branch of the state, you're you're going to start to scratch your head and say, really? You know, are you sure you're not talking about the the Politburo or or something that's happening? You know, maybe in Venezuela or something? And um, because you know, I started out the week uh, testifying and appearing before the Supreme Court of the state uh, of Michigan, where the court is considering a speech code for judges, uh, a speech code that would require, especially uh, judges of, uh, that are people of faith, to to violate their sincerely held religious uh, conscience and and in. You know, I, I think it causes a lot of whole much, a lot of whole bunch of different safety concerns as well. But you know, but they're starting out um, requiring judges to um, call a biological um, man a woman if if the man uh, requests it. You know, are they if they're going to do that? Are they also going to let that man go in the woman's bathroom? Is the man charged? If the man's charged with you know, raping a child? Is he going to be allowed to, you know, be in, you know, the the prison holding place with, you know, people of the other sex? I mean, it's just sometimes you just got to scratch your head when you see what the government's doing just from a common sense safety perspective, but from a constitutional perspective to compel the speech, to compel the expression of a judge and, and require them to say certain things and 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 require them not to say you know, other things, it's like, wait a minute, you know, this is supposed to be the Supreme Court of, this is supposed to be, you know, lawyers. And we're supposed to understand the Constitution. And I and I believe there are a number of, you know, very good justices that, that see this problem. And I'm hoping that's the case, because we made, you know, persuasive arguments that, um, that wait a minute, you know, every person is, it is to be treated with dignity. Everybody, every person is, is is due respect, and, and you know because they're made in the very image of God. Every person is. You know that's not what the question is here. The question is when you're doing that, are you going to do it in a way that comports with the Constitution, or are you going to um, all of a sudden say that that First Amendment doesn't matter anymore? And and, and so uh, a few days. Um, or a little bit just prior to that testimony, I appeared in front of the legislative branch and we submitted uh, written testimony because, um, of course, the legislature now, um, again, very Politburo-esque, is um, giving very little notice of when they're going to change uh, public policy that affects the whole state. And after giving very little notice, then they only let one side um, provide testimony. You know, here you had, and again, I'm not patting myself on the back or anything. You had a constitutional law professor, you know, in the room, and you know they are um, considering and moving uh, a bill to make speech a crime. And again, 
you know, I, I'm sitting there thinking, well, at least they're going to let us, you know, talk and, and I can remind them what the First Amendment says. But that's not what happened. You know, the, the chief law enforcement officer of the state, the attorney general got up, you know, and said, we need this bill. We need to to make speech a, a crime. And, you know, and, and because people aren't being treated again with dignity or respect and in and then the um, chief prosecutor from Wayne County got up and said the same thing. And again, I wish they'd put these people under oath because they said, oh, we've checked this out and this is absolutely constitutional. I'm looking at this thing and I'm absolutely convinced. I'm sure if the ACLU looked at it, and I think they did, they wouldn't be supporting this thing. And it's my understanding, you know, they didn't take a position on it. And so if you got the ACLU and William Wagner on the same side of a constitutional issue, you know, you are going way, 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 way wrong down the wrong road. And so when you write a statute uh, that suppresses speech based on the content of the speech, based on the viewpoint of the speech, uh, and then think that you don't have to be limited by the First Amendment, um, you're living in a different country, and I think sometimes the people that are pushing this stuff, they actually, you know, want, want to do that. And, that. and those are only two examples, Ed, you know, um, conversion therapy, so-called conversion therapy. Uh, the third thing that's happening is moving forward and fast in the legislature is, is the legislature is attempting to um, censor and compel the expression of professional uh, therapists who you know, want to help somebody that's that's struggling with um, uh, that's struggling with their sexual orientation and their sexual identity, and it's only allowing speech and viewpoints um, by the uh, by the therapist um, that that promotes what the far left wants to promote, and and it makes it professional misconduct and, and where you lose your you're subject to disciplinary um, action and, and licensing sanctions. Uh, if you try to help somebody the other way. And so um, that's where we're at this week. Um, and, and we be, begin like you did. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Our, our founders understood that there were certain first permanent principles we needed to recognize. And the first of those first permanent principles they put in the First Amendment that said, you know, Congress shall make no law respecting the freedom of speech. Uh, respecting, um, uh, interfering with religion, respecting religion or the free exercise thereof or free expression. And that's where we're at. Yeah, now I have two comments to what you said and one might show my ignorance and that I wouldn't mind. But I thought there was a case involving a school teacher who refused to misgender. And I say misgender, I mean that in the real term misgender a student. I thought that was in Virginia and it went to the Supreme Court and that he was vindicated. Is, is well, there's a- all, but there is all kinds of, yes, but there's all kinds of cases like that happening right now, every day in virtually every state in this country. And and, and so what um, what is what is required is, uh, is, uh, is an analysis that's pretty simple. When you see government acting that way, you ask the government authority or the regime that's doing that kind of interference with liberty. Where do you get the authority to do that in your in your statutes or in your constitution? And even if you have that authority in there, um, the next question you ask: Are you nonetheless using that power in a way that is 
infringing on uh, an inalienable fundamental liberty like freedom of expression or the free exercise of religious conscience. And if that's the case, you got to stop. But we're in a place in this country where uh, politicians and political activists are using the law uh, um, as as previous um, people have used uh, firearms and bombs and grenades. Uh, they're using the law in something that's called lawfare instead of warfare um, with, an, uh, with a with very uh, nefarious um, intent with regard to um, the kind of governance that they ultimately want to see, and, and which is not consistent necessarily with constitutional uh, republic where you have representative governance, because representative governance means you're subject to uh, the people. Uh, I think there are many folks out there that would much more prefer a European style uh, government by experts. Uh, and then mm-hmm. and then that experts are, are they make sure that nobody like Ed or William uh, is on their panel. We pretty much have that. You know, but, you know, as I as you were talking, I realized that, well, just because the Supreme Court ruled a certain way doesn't mean that states and municipalities still won't try and come up with the laws that violate that. We see after Bruin last year that says, yeah. Basically, there's certain rules regarding gun ownership and possession and where you can have them. And states are still ignoring those and still coming up with laws that that violate the spirit of Bruin. And it's got to go all the way through the courts. The other thing I was thinking of is I had a friend call me up last night. and He just wanted to run something by me. And he said that, do you think that Whitmer and her associates are doing everything they're doing to push conservatives out of this state? into Florida and into Texas in order to reduce the the conservative vote in this state. And as you were speaking about this effect on judges, this, uh, uh, you know, when a judge won't comply or he says, I can't in all good conscience reply. If he steps down from the judgeship, then they've had their way. Now, all of a sudden, we have one less conservative judge justice on on the bench. Do you think that might be part of the plan of attack? Oh, I, I don't know if you know it would amount to um, an organized conspiracy where people have gotten in a room and they've put together a strategic plan to make that happen. But I can tell you that at every turn, uh, at least when I'm out in uh, the world and you're you know in front of the legislature or you are um, you know at the courts, at every turn, there are people trying to use the law to change the way we govern our nation, you know? And so when you hear people attacking the constitution or saying it's outmoded, uh, they're trying to cancel the constitution because they want something different, but they don't wanna use the, they don't wanna go through the process of, you know, actually amending the constitution because they know they don't have the support of that yet. Uh, I now, I, I tell you, it does concern me that, you know, the people of, the, the people that care about this country uh, don't stand up enough, and and we're so busy, uh, and, and we we make so much money that we can go on vacations and things like that. You know, we're at a turning point in this country where people need to start going back and studying the Constitution, studying uh, the way their government is supposed to work, and and then start watching what their government is doing because you know right now we have freedom of expression uh, and, and freedom of religious conscience. If we don't start um, exercising those rights and standing up and, and fiercely standing for those rights, you know, peacefully and and unafraid, 
uh, we're going to find ourselves, you know, on the uh, on the other end of a disciplinary proceeding or a criminal prosecution. I mean, this is a felony I was talking about. They're going to put you in prison for a long time because you hurt somebody's feelings, you know, in this <laughs> yeah. super ambiguously uh, defined statute that nobody could foresee what it means. And when nobody can foresee what it means because it's written so vaguely, that's done intentionally so an enforcement officer can arbitrarily enforce it. Um, you got to remember. Go ahead. You got to remember. Words are violence. Remember that words are violence. So calling a, a a guy, a girl and vice versa, you know, or calling a guy a guy, let's put it that way. That's violent because, you know, you like you said, you hurt his feelings and hurt implies harm and violence. Well, and and and, and if you can define these words like harass or intimidate, you know, these other words that they've put in that statute in such a way. And again, go look at it. I mean, they, they define the word harass using the word harass. Harass means to harass. To intimidate means to intimidate. You know, and, and when you do when you do something that vague and ambiguous and overbroad, um, the, the regime that has the enforcement authority then can pick and choose who they want to um, target. And, and that's becoming something when you weaponize a justice system. And, and you target a person as opposed to um, prosecuting a crime, um, that's a very dangerous uh, uh, slope that you're starting to go down. And, you know, I tell you, I've lived in countries where, you know, democracies were being rebuilt and we're, and we're in the middle of civil war. And, and when you no longer have a justice system uh, and a legal system that can be trusted as legitimate, uh, that very quickly leads to a very devastating situation where um, because people can't trust the system, they they get their justice a different way. And, and it, it, it's a very sad, sad thing. I hope we don't continue down that road. You know, you were talking about rights and religious rights and the like and freedom of expression. And I told you before about my friend, uh, Fireman Tim, who was fired from the uh, uh, Ann Arbor Pol uh, Fire Department. And he just uh, let me know, actually, there's an article in uh, Michigan Capcom, uh, Capital Confidential, about him. And he is going to get his uh, a partial retirement. They're going to give him early retirement, finally, as part of a settlement. But he can continue with his lawsuit. But I was reading the paperwork involved with the arbitration, and they said that his religious exemption was not sufficiently religious. And I, and I posted this on Facebook and a couple of my friends said, who is anybody to say what is sufficiently religious? I mean, that's such an abrogation of our rights right there by, by ruling authorities. And, and it's either being written by, you know, a lawyer who doesn't know what they're talking about um, or, or one that does and is doing something nefarious because th that's a, a, a very settled question. I mean, there are some things where you can argue both sides of a question, but the U.S. Supreme Court has definitively uh, made clear that the government authority does not get to say what you just said. <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. you know, whether somebody has a sincerely held religious belief, you know, is 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 that's that's the person's belief, not the church's or not the guy's pastor, but what's his belief? And, and, and the question is, you know, whether it's, you know, sincere and, and that's not for some, 
you know, outside third person government regime to, you know, to then say, hey, well, hey, you're a Methodist and or you're a Lutheran and, you know, you got to be Lutheran for it to be sufficient. I mean, that's just. Well, that goes back to. Yeah. And that goes back to the discussion earlier where, you know, we're talking about these justices, these judges who are being told they have to behave in a certain manner. And to my, you know, layman's opinion, I'm the plowman here. But to my understanding, the Supreme Court ruled already you can't make somebody use the wrong pronouns. And yet here we well, are. Or but, but, Ed, but Ed, you got to be careful on that because, first of all, and, and I got to be careful, too, because I don't know all the facts of the case you just talked about. So there could be a lot more other you know, things yeah. that are going on that I don't know about. But but uh, but it's just because of Supreme Court rules. You got to be careful on what we say here, because when somebody wins, that doesn't mean that they've ruled on an issue. You know, oh, that, gotcha. that's a very, very different question than have they ruled on a particular question of law? Did they hear arguments on it or did they just agree not to take a case or something like that? Um, those are two very, very different things. In fact, you can sometimes win in the Supreme Court as the plaintiff or I mean, as the person that's the appellant before the court, but then the law is horrible. Yeah, and so well, I mean, the I can case in Colorado cases, religious liberty cases, where they, uh, where, where the person that wanted to have baby Jesus on the courthouse steps won metaphorically, but they lost basically because the rule of law said, well, there were so many other secular things around, you know, this baby Jesus that that maybe the whole thing was secular. So therefore, then it's okay. Well, the church, the Christian guy won there, but he really didn't because, you know, even though he got to have baby Jesus there, the rule of law that the court handed down was horrible. It said you had to have a lot of secular stuff around it to make it okay. That's since been overruled, but that's where it was at that time. You got about a minute before you got to go. Was there anything you wanted to promote or uh, mentioned before. Well, we got Dave Coleman waiting in the wings. Thanks, thanks for giving me that opportunity. Because actually, Salt and Light Global, we've been around for ten years, and a decade. And we, my wife and I, were looking, and we had so much that we had to thank. There was so much, so many people we wanted to appreciate. We we could not believe what, how the Lord has blessed this ministry over the last ten years. And so um, we are holding a kind of a thank you. Um, at the country mill we helped out the country mill a little bit back when they had their situation so they've been gracious and they are a wonderful uh business They're, they are um allowing us they're hosting us there and and not charging us anything and so it's just going to be a wonderful night on june 22nd go to um slgwitness.com slgwitness.com uh and you can you know sign up and and come there's it's going to be a really really fun night good food and, and just a celebration of 10 years of uh, incredible things in the way the Lord has helped us shine uh, truth in, in the darkness out there. And that's in Charlotte, right? Which is outside of Lansing right. for, our right. inter, for our international audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Will, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad you could come in and, and talk about these things. I know you got to go. And like I said, we got Dave Coleman waiting in the wings. So we're going to play tag team wrestling here. Good, good. Right. And, and feel free to give him just a real hard time, you know, because he can handle I'll it. do that. All right. <laughs> All right, folks, come on back for the second half of the show. You're American Heritage. Thanks, Will.
We were made to be courageous We were made to lead the way We could be the generation That finally breaks the chains We were made to be courageous We were made to be courageous We were warriors on the front lines Standing unafraid Well, thanks for returning to Your American Heritage, baby I'm getting better at that that's uh, Theron Hughes announcing your American Heritage, baby. And I'm your host, Ed Bondarenka. And joining me is David Coleman of Coleman Legal Group and Salt and Light Global. So, uh, hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. Ah, good to be with you, Ed. I know that your legal firm, which is uh, Coleman Legal Services, right? I get that right this time? Coleman Legal Group. <laughs> That's odd. I thought it was commonly. Oh, that's right. I did write it down correctly. Never mind. Common Legal Group is representing the county uh, of Ottawa after uh, a voter takeover of the county there. And I had a guest on a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Matt Trujella, and he's written a book called The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, which is encourages people to work at the grassroots, take over lower organizations and stand up uh, different, you know, municipalities, counties, and then states. And and the, the lesser magistrates are important where a lot of the decision-making goes and how oftentimes uh, we have the moral authority to ignore the greater magistrates when they uh, break a the, the rule of God or the rule of law. So uh, he had this to say, it was kind of interesting. And on Wednesday, I'm in Ottawa County, I forget, but it's the county seat, whatever that is. Listeners, avid listeners of this show will remember that our friend Dave Coleman, that uh, Dave Coleman is the, his legal firm is the representation for the county of Ottawa after the mm -hmm. election there throughout the Wokies. They removed the county mo uh, uh, motto, they changed it, they removed the, uh, I don't know if it's a DE&I officer or a, a ESG officer, somebody like that. And uh, basically, you know, they've, they've taken control of their county. I'm surprised you're not going to be in Livingston County because uh, their sheriff is standing up too. The, the, this is exactly what we're talking about. The doctrine yeah. of lesser magistrates, right? Yeah, exactly. No, the, the Ottawa County, I think so highly of them, like, we have a Rumble channel called Defy Tyrants, uh, just so your listeners know if they go to Rumble. Okay, and there's more about that. And so um, that's that's a great thing. And, and that, that you are involved in Ottawa County, you know, they would actually turn to your legal group for, for uh, help there. And uh, are you aware of any other counties around the state that are, are, are uh, standing up? Yeah, I've had conversations that, that you could talk with... Of? Uh, yeah, I, I really can't name names at this point of counties, but I've talked to probably three or four other counties, uh, county chairs, things like that, where they're taking stands uh, to try to bring back some sanity to local government. But it's just not getting the same coverage that Ottawa County seems to be getting. But there are people and school boards around the state, too, where parents are taking uh, back their school boards and to try to stop some of this uh, craziness that's going on in the schools. So it's an important thing. I think people need to get out 
organized locally because this is where you can really have an impact and vote and vote in people of like mind, uh, you know, to these various positions, trustees of townships, county commissioners, you know, in the various positions on school boards, that sort of thing, uh, and start impacting your local community. You know, I have a friend, uh, I actually met him through doing this show. Uh, after one show, he ended up at my front door, which is kind of scary. He's a big guy. And when somebody, you know, comes to your front door that you don't know after you've done a broadcast like this, you're like, oops. And he was agitated. And uh, I thought, wow. So I invited him in very, very carefully. And I won't say that I had my hand on my, on my holster, but, uh, you know, you just want to be careful. But I was friendly. And he came in and he was all excited. Oh, excuse me. Got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> and he was all excited and says, what can we do about what's going on? And he's become an activist. It's, it's really great. And he and some friends went and met with the sheriff of Livingston County. And they had a chat with the sheriff. And I'm suggesting that other people do the same thing, that they talk to, besides the other elected representatives, the sheriffs and say, like, hey, are you going to stand up for our rights or are you going to arrest us? And we've had some sheriffs around the state who have said, you know what, um, I'm not going to enforce illegal, unconstitutional gun laws. I have, a, I have a responsibility to the Constitution of the United States, and I wish more people felt that way. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's, there is a difference when you have a prosecutor, for example, or a sheriff, where they make decisions on whether or not they're going to enforce a particular law, because they have the discretion to do that. A prosecutor can look at a case and say, yeah, you know, the technical elements of the crime are met, but for whatever reasons, uh, whether it's constitutional reasons or simply, you know, mitigating factors in a particular case, or, that prosecutor me, can say, I'm not going to prosecute. They can refuse. Or source to told them to. So, or source told yeah, them or not whatever. to. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But prosecutors and sheriffs have a little different ability to exercise discretion more so than say a county commissioner or a township uh, trustee or something like that. Now you still, then, you know, you're really starting to get into issues of civil disobedience and you have laws like remember a couple of years back, these county clerks around the country that were refusing to issue same sex wedding uh, marriage licenses, things like that. And those are ministerial actions and they're the lawsuits in those cases they are kind of a mixed bag, you know, some, a few won, a lot of them lost. Um, well, that's you know, an so authority there's a difference. issue too. And, and that's where I think you have to have a, dis a, a discussion. And, you know, if you feel as a county commissioner or a township trustee or whatever, school board member, that you can't do something that's being required under the law, you obviously have the right to make that choice. And then, of course, you may face some consequences. You know, civil disobedience can live, lead to consequences. But that doesn't mean you can't make that choice. And just by making the choice and taking the stand, you bring others along with you. So, but there, you know, I think there's some nuance there that there's a real difference between a prosecutor, a judge, you know, a sheriff, because they're separately elected uh, people to those positions and they have discretion to carry out the laws. You know, county commissions, township trustees, school boards, they're the legislative side. Those other group, those other individuals are the executive side. So there is a difference there. 
Yeah, you know, actually, on uh, the previous show, Moment of Clarity, I was talking about how when you stand up, like a like a Mordecai, I was mentioning Esther, when you stand up to authority and say this is wrong or just I will not comply, there can be consequences, but you can often win too, especially if, if right. God is on your side or vice versa, you are on God's side. And the other concept is, like you said, you inspire people. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 and you have the other, you're, you're right. fighting back to back and you're covering each other. You're so, and you just, just the thought that I am not alone, you know, right. is encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. So I think it is very important. Uh, you know, look, our system of government and everything is set up on, on a hierarchy. You know, we have local elected officials, we have intermediate state officials, and then of course you have federal officials. And each area has their own, uh, you know, sovereign, uh, you know, area that they cover, but they're not allowed necessarily to impact, you know, like say a local county official can't pass a law that says anything about how the federal government operates, for example. I mean, they can't pass a law like that. They're not the federal government, but vice versa, if the federal government passes a law that a local county official that impacts them and they believe is unconstitutional or whatever, then of course they have many ways to fight that. Like I said, from civil civil disobedience to filing lawsuits, to doing all sorts of things, appealing to uh, the federal magistrate, whoever's involved. So you have a lot of options there uh, to fight back, but there's a difference in hierarchy, you know, depending on who is enforcing what particular law. Yes. Yeah, kind of interesting that if you're a certain municipality that you can be a and and get away with it be a sanctuary city for illegal immigration but right god forbid you should be a sanctuary city for second amendment enforcement you know right. it's well so you bring up a good point there you know wow. i mean these local municipalities that become i know i should did i admit that out loud Ed? oh my goodness <laughs> i think you brought up a good point <laughs> But, you know, it's true. I mean, we, we rail against San Francisco and these New York City. You know, we're a sanctuary city and we don't care if there's a federal law. And, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to enforce it. And they're totally fine with that. But then when another city or a county says, well, we're not going to enforce these gun laws that you're putting. We're a sanctuary county. We're a sanctuary city for those issues. All of a sudden. Oh, you're a lawbreaker. You're breaking the law. We're going to come after you. I mean, the double standard is very hypocritical and it's laughable. Well, that's like a current president having, you know, certain documents in his possession and, you know, getting away with it. And the previous right. president not, you know, and now he's indicted, right. you know. Right. Yeah, I, yeah <sighs> I know. I mean, and he, you know, there too. I mean, we have to be careful. Look, it, it's like if I'm driving down the highway and I'm doing 80, and somebody drives by me going 90, but I get pulled over for the ticket for doing 80. Well, I was still doing 80, you know, I mean, I still <laughs> broke the law. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, it points out the hypocrisy of the, of the enforcement of the law to bring those points up, but it doesn't necessarily mean a certain person who's charged or whatever might not be guilty of a crime. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll find out with president Trump, for example, we'll find out with some of these others. You know, it's very suspicious and everybody at this point, we tend not to believe anything that the FBI or anybody else at the federal level says, because they're obviously they politicized and weaponized everything. 
So, you know, and that's why, thankfully, at least for now, we still have your innocent till proven guilty. And I'm sure President we Trump will have the best lawyers out there and he'll fight these things. But again, whether or not he violated the law is a question in and of itself. Did Hillary Clinton violate the law? Obviously she did, but she's not getting prosecuted. And it, sh it shows the hypocrisy again. It shows how there. Th this is what's driving the distrust of the American people. We don't trust them anymore because they are applying these laws in, in a favoritism kind of a way. Wink, wink, if you're on our side, you can get away with it. But boy, you spit on the sidewalk and you're against us, we're, we're going to you know, come after you guns a-blazing. And people don't like that. That's just an inherently you know, um, unfair, biased process, and people don't like it. And I, I think the Democrat Party had better watch it. They're, they're, you know, I think this could backfire on them big time. Oh, this is going to, I believe the Democrat Party is going to get bud lit. I really do. Hey, that's yeah. a term I just yeah. made up, bud lit. I like that one. <laughs> you know, Another good one, like, Ed. Man, that's, that's wow. twice in one show. I mean, I said, <laughs> man, I, I don't know. I can't handle this. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, we could always, you and I are going to continue talking, but if anybody has a, has a witty comment themselves and keep it brief, uh, we have a phone number at 734-822-1600, which is coincidentally the frequency this station broadcasts on the AM brand, uh, AM band. I, you know, that's, what are the odds of that? That's almost close to the odds of my wife having my same last name, and yet we still manage to marry, you know, and meet each other. So, yeah. So anyways, you were going to tell me about something that's going out in Oklahoma that sounds promising or may not. Well, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out if you might not have caught it this week with everything else going on. But the uh, Oklahoma legislature passed a bill and it was signed into law that says the state can now fund private and parochial and religious schools, uh, you know, secondary high schools, elementary schools, that sort of thing. And it's causing a huge amount of controversy. The attorney general, AG in uh, Oklahoma, came out and said, this is blatantly illegal and unconstitutional, and he's going to fight it, you know, that sort of thing. This brings up the whole Hillsdale College argument, you know. I mean, can the state fund and, you know, private religious organizations, you know, most many states around country, including Michigan, have what's called a Blaine Amendment after Congressman Blaine back from the 1800s that pushed these kinds of laws through which bans that type of public assistance to private religious schools. But the, the problem is, let's say the state does it and somebody and people are pushing for that. And so now the state says, all right, we're gonna fund your private Christian school. Well, guess what? With that funding comes the control. And so if the state comes in and says, you have to celebrate LGBT gay pride month and you will teach things in favor of those uh, principles, and you can't teach the Bible or you can't do whatever, the state can regulate what it funds. And that's a, a very well settled aspect of the law, which is why Hillsdale College, Grove College, there's a few others around the country, absolutely refuse to take any federal or state money. So then they're free to do what, teach what they want at their universities. So, uh, you know, if a school takes that money, beware you know i mean you you could be having it might be okay right now if you have a favorable group in the education department at oklahoma it might be okay now but five years from now when that changes 
and you get a progressive lefty in there, all of a sudden, watch what happens when you've taken that funding. They're going to come in and, and try to change your school. You won't be a Christian school anymore. So I, I kind of have mixed feelings uh, about that. You know, there are other ways to do it, Ed. I mean, they could pass a tax credit and where a parent would get a tax credit dollar for dollar for any tuition they pay uh, for their children to go to private schools. And then that the state can't regulate the school then because the school's not getting the money directly. The money goes to the parent. And, you know, those sorts of tax credits have been upheld and where the state cannot regulate the school. Mm -hmm. So there are other ways to do it, but it is going to be interesting. I mean, the bottom line is I think the, the uh, opponents of, of those kinds of funding for private religious schools have a good chance of winning an establishment clause case, you know, uh, arguing that this is uh, you know, violating the establishment clause in the First Amendment. And, of course, we could spend a whole hour on that. Oh yeah. The establishment clause originally only meant you can't have a national church, but it's been morphed over the years now to say that government has to be neutral, it can't endorse and it can't fund and that sort of thing. Excuse me. I mean, excuse under me, the current morphed. standards. Yes. So under the current standards set by our Supreme Court for an establishment clause violation, I think Oklahoma is probably going to lose that. Um, it, and I'm not so sure that's a bad thing for those private schools, you know, because you know, you don't want the state control of your private school. Right, right. I understand Spring Arbor is trying to get out of uh, state funding also and try and be more like Hills, mm -hmm. Hillsdale. But you use the word morphed and, uh, you know, I just want to say the euphemism for euphemism for twist it all out of re relation to reality. Right. You know, right. We all I mean, right. we've, we've gone right. over that before, but I have a question. Just, yeah. you know, let me let me play lawyer for a second and see how this works. I want to talk to a real one. <laughs> so I'm a church and I argue that you have to give me money that you give anybody else just because I have a school. Well, let's see. I'm I have a school and you have to give my school money like you would any other private school. Let's put it that way. Right. Even though it's owned mm -hmm. by a church and we have religious classes in there. Because we're educating children, you have to give us money. Now, when you say that the government can come down and say, but you have to teach this, this, and this, well, that starts right. to sound like the establishment of religion right there. When you say you have to violate your uh, religious uh, beliefs, in order to satisfy our religious beliefs, you know, that men yeah. can be women and vice versa. Isn't that, is that kind yeah. of like, I, go ahead. You talk. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see what you're saying, but really what you're talking about is it's a free exercise violation at that point. But the problem is the school has kind of waived their free exercise arguments because they're taking the money. And again, there's established case law and everything. What government funds, government can regulate. And, uh, you know, to try to argue otherwise, nobody has won that. And you can go back 50, 60, 70 years in case law all over the country where government, if the government funds it, they get to regulate you. And like I say, if you're, you have a favorable, nice, you know, Department of Education right now, that might not be a problem. They might not come in and try to regulate you and you get the money. But five years from now, 10 years from now, that could change. And now you're in rely you're relying on that money to survive, 
and now the state's going to come in and, and essentially mm -hmm. stop you from being a Christian school because they're going to say you, know, you can't do that stuff because you're endorsing religion and you're getting our state money. We can't do that. You have to stop. You mentioned case law, and I'm reading this book, Mere Natural Law, and the author talks about, you know, in particularly in Supreme Court rulings, just basically common sense, natural law is is ignored. Stuff that everybody knows. My argument against that is, well, what if somebody else's sense of right and wrong, or what's normal, or what's natural, is perverted, and then you get that person on the on the court. I don't know, but it seems to me that a lot of our laws these days in the courts are settled on precedent and case law. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're putting, you've got all these building blocks that you've picked up and you're fashion, fashioning them into something else, synthesizing a meaning of law out of what everybody else said without actually critiquing that case law without saying, yeah, well, that was, that was just wrong right. anyhow. And that was wrong. And Right. I mean, am I off base with that critique? No, that's part of the problem with the way our legal system is set up these days is that, you know, the words of the Constitution might say one thing, but if the Supreme Court interpreted it somewhere, some other way, there you go. I mean, you, that's the problem. And the case law controls under our system the way it is right now, because it's an interpretation of the Constitution or the statute or the administrative rule. So, for example, you know, last year in the Roush World case, our Michigan Supreme Court took a word in the Elliott Larson Act, the word sex, that mm. for 50 years, everybody knew and understood it meant biological sex, male and female. That's all it meant. And the Supreme Court said, well, they might have meant, meant something else. We're going to change the definition now. And yeah, it does mean that, but it also now means sexual orientation. It also means gender identity. And they changed the definition. Now, where did they get that? I mean, it's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act. In fact, one of the, the sponsors and founders of the Elliott Civil Rights Act, Daisy Elliott, uh, back when this law was passed, railed against the law because it did not cover sexual orientation and gender identity. She, she just railed against it. And yet here we are 50 years later and the Supreme Court says, ah, no, that's what the legislature really meant. When everybody knows that's a lie. That is not true, but the Supreme Court ruled and there you are. So, you know, I, I mean, courts, that's the problem. Words are malleable, malleable now. They, oh, you missed, it, it you missed my opening. What it mean, it, words just mean whatever the person who's in power wants it to mean. And that's dangerous for any culture, any society, and especially for our country, where we claim we operate under a constitutional republic. When words no longer mean anything, and it just means what the people in power say, we no longer have a constitutional republic. And we're starting to see it right now play out before our eyes with all the craziness that's going on these days. Yeah, in my opening, I said Thomas Jefferson is supposed to have said that the Constitution should be able to be understood by the plowman as well as the professor. And yet here we are, lawyers discussing what the right. meaning of is is. Well, we're at the end of the show. Yes. We, the music is going to start shortly if it hasn't, and uh, I want to I want to uh, uh, recommend that if you want to support the work of Salt and Light Global, that you actually go to the website Salt and Light Global, and or go to Great Lakes Justice. Uh, G, I'm sorry, Center. Great Lakes JC. Yep, Great Lakes Justice Center. Yep. GreatLakesJC.org. Great Lakes Justice Thank you. Center. Yep. 
and contribute this this work defending your rights costs money well thanks dave i appreciate you joining me again thanks derek for for the production value and folks thanks for listening come on back next week your american heritage